0: and welcome to the Digital PR Podcast with me, Louise Parker, and my lovely co-host Steve Baker. Due to intense popular demand, we are back for a second season and we will be again chatting to some of the digital PR greats, discussing the ins and outs of our industry. This season, we'll be touching on topics like crisis comms, freelancing, the great office debate, digital PR in America, and we'll also be getting the perspectives of in-house clients and journalists on what they really think about digital PRs. Excitingly, this season we also have a sponsor.
1: Ooh.
0: All six episodes are sponsored by our friends at CoverageBook. We all use CoverageBook in the PropellerNet team, and so do agencies and brands all over the world. It's an amazing tool that creates PR reports in minutes, drastically reducing the time that would typically be spent on reporting. Steve, would you like to know a fun fact?
1: Yes, please.
0: (laughs) One agency team saved $2,000 of PR budget every month when they switched to using the tool. Pretty good. What we love about it is that it gives you realistic, industry-leading metrics that you don't need to have a data science degree to understand. It does all the clippings for you, so no more boring copying and pasting, and it just looks super snazzy, so you don't have to be a designer to showcase your coverage like a pro. You can visit coveragebook.com and sign up for a free trial to see why some of the best digital PR practitioners in the world depend on Coverage Book. Alright, onto our episode.
1: Our guest today comes all the way from sunny Florida to speak to us about digital PR in the USA. Bri Godwin Hoick is a digital PR manager at Journey Further, who she joined in May of this year, to continue to cultivate the growth of digital PR in the US. An absolute master of creating headline-worthy stories. Bri regularly lands coverage at high authority publications such as the New York Times, CNBC, USA Today, Fox and Business Insider. So we're very excited to get her thoughts on how the digital PR industry is developing in the US and how it differs from the UK. Bri, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: So as a starting point, I've obviously given um, a very brief overview um, of your expertise and and kind of where you're at the moment. But could you give our listeners an overview of your career so far? Like, what have you been up to? What are you doing now?
2: Yeah, definitely. So you did a great job covering it. I don't know if I can beat that. But yeah, so I have been in digital PR for six years. I kind of stumbled into it. I think a lot of us do. Um, I wanted to work in PR, I was working in traditional marketing for a year, but I was really interested in doing stuff with PR and with the media. And I started working at an excellent digital PR and link building uh, firm called Fractal, who kind of taught me a lot of uh, most of what I know about digital PR, and they're really excellent in the space. So I, um, you know, started learning about creating content for for publishers and getting those links and things like that and worked my way up to be a manager and um, now I work at journey further as a digital PR manager not just creating campaigns but also training up the future of digital PR especially here in the US where it is I think maybe a little behind compared to the UK
1: and then obviously you've joined journey further and I'm right in saying that was May of of this year congratulations how's it been going you've not been there a long time but obviously been getting stuck in and doing doing a lot
2: Yes, it has been amazing. I absolutely love the Dirty Further team. I absolutely love Beth Nunnington, who is just a digital PR genius. It's, it's been a learning experience, I guess you could say, because I do work um, with the UK team as well. And this is where I'm really starting to notice those differences, as you mentioned, and learn a lot about how it's kind of done over here and seeing how we can adopt it over in the U.S. as well. So lots of learnings back and forth to really make sure that we're continuing to grow and, and cultivate digital PR in the
0: U.S., uh, with all of the different ways that you can get get links
2: and get coverage,
0: that brings me nicely onto <laughs> onto my first question for you, which is: so currently at the moment in the US, what is digital PR like? Great
2: question. Yes, so I would say it's a little a little behind. I think compared to the UK, I feel like it's a little bit more popular and growing, kind of in the UK from what I've seen. And I think maybe clients or potential clients from what I've seen, correct me if I'm wrong, come to you guys already kind of knowing what it is and, and wanting it, having like a baseline understanding. We're here in the U S it's not really as mature. So we're kind of having to start from ground zero sometimes in terms of telling clients even what it is and why it's beneficial. And then I would say there's quite a few or not quite a few. There's a few agencies that are doing link building. I think really doing it correctly in my opinion, like, uh, Journey Further, of course, and then Fractal, and there's a few others. But there is still kind of a popularity of maybe old school link building tactics, like buying links, or making irrelevant content, or even kind of using like guest posting or things like that. Also, maybe taking a passive approach to link building rather than having like a full build out department specifically around PR and link building and making sure that it's an integral part of a of a client's, you know, repertoire. So a little behind, but we are growing. And we will continue to grow for sure.
1: <laughs> so why, I'm really interested, like why do you think the US is sort of slightly less mature or, or behind the UK? I've always been quite fascinated by that because that's certainly the impression I got from what I read online. But um, yeah, why, why do you think that is? Oh, that's such a great
2: question. I'm not even sure I have the answer. I just know that when I speak to SEO professionals and um, when I speak to SEO professionals in the US, it's a lot of focus on like creating content, category pages, keyword pages, even technical SEO, making sure page speed and all of that is up, is up to speed. When it comes to link building, it kind of just seems like an afterthought after those two original items that I just mentioned. Then when I speak to PR professionals, it's traditional. Traditional PR mm-hmm. kind of more just supersedes digital in what I've seen. So marrying the two, I, I, I don't know if I can tell you exactly why. I think most of the time, SEOs have just kind of stayed in their lane and traditional PRs have stayed in theirs. And there hasn't quite been that overlap of the two um, as much as there's been in the UK.
0: Yeah, I mean, everything you described about like, the current situation with it is basically the UK, what, maybe like 10 years ago, maybe, like maybe even slightly more recently, because I I certainly remember when I started out in digital PR, which was about seven or eight years ago, there were most of the clients who knew that they needed links, but you did have to definitely convince them and educate them about how we went about getting links, which was through digital PR. Whereas now, like you correctly said, I think every client who comes to us just understands that digital PR is just how you get links, particularly with working with us. And I guess it's just time. And, you know, that's a matter of years. (laughs) So, like, it takes a long time to um, get people confident and I guess seeing enough case studies and seeing enough examples of their competitors doing it and things like that. But it takes a lot of time. But, um, yeah, it definitely sounds like, especially with a lot of the UK agencies moving to the US or having like a kind of presence there, that it will definitely start ramping up as well as having people like Fractal who have been doing it for a long time.
2: Definitely. I think it is a combination of the two. And you're totally right that when they see the case studies and when they see that the improvements maybe competitors have had because of doing digital PR for links and things like that, it will continue to increase. So it's definitely, I think, a a market to watch over the next few years, hopefully, as we continue to grow.
1: Sure. And you're going to be a big part of that. So it's such an exciting time because you're, you know, training up the next generation as well as educating, which, um, as, as you said, Lou, like we were sort of doing, yeah, maybe like five to 10 years ago with a lot of clients here. And it was exciting. I mean, frustrating at times when you couldn't quite get mm-hmm. your voice heard or, or like it felt like you were almost re-explaining the same thing. But yeah, it must be an exciting time for you, which is, is great. I mean, in your average SEO agency in the US, so you're saying that a lot of the link building or, or some of the link building you see is is still sort of some old school tactics? Like if if you could almost describe an average SEO agency in the US, how are they doing it? Obviously you're trying to change it, but how are they doing it, do you think?
2: Yeah, I see uh, some clients come to us and maybe they're working with an SEO agency or they have an internal person who's kind of supposed to do all SEO, which is another common thing that I see too. Okay. God bless that person because that's a (laughs) good job. Um, You know, so they're they're kind of doing maybe buying links is something that I've seen. I've also seen like technical link building, just looking for maybe redirects or um, just text attributions and saying, hey, you know, can you can can you convert these to a link or something like that? I consider that to be like a little bit more passive as opposed to you know creating full pieces of content for links or things like that. I've also seen clients or, or agencies use those PR tools like Haro or, or something equivalent to that, just looking for low hanging fruit opportunities to get their client or to get their, their organization or their business in the news with a link, again, kind of in a more passive way. Or I've also seen guest posts where they're just writing a piece of content to guest post onto uh, maybe a trade or industry publication rather than doing, like I said, like creating a piece of content or doing like a, a PR led strategy. Uh, yeah, I think that that's going to
0: be mostly those tactics. Yeah, are, are there any? I mean, I'm, a, I'm going to assume you don't endorse paying for links. But are <laughs> there any things in there which you're like, no, that's a that's a fair enough way of gaining links? Like, um, or are they are they all, to your opinion, not worth pursuing?
2: I definitely think you can do the the technical link building. You know, like fixing redirects and and the text attributions and things like that. I think that that's one piece of the puzzle. Um, but making that your full strategy, you're you're missing out on a lot, of course, in my opinion. So they're not necessarily on the wrong track there, um, I, I don't think. But again, they are missing out on a lot. Guest posting too. I've seen um, some clients who are guest posting, like I said, in industry and trade publications. So it's right up their alley in terms of what they have the authority to speak on and where their customer base might be. So I don't think that that's necessarily bad Um, But it doesn't really give that authority like it does when it comes from a complete third party, like from a journalist getting that really like nice earned media. So maybe they're on the right track. uh, But I would still obviously, of course, like recommend a really full thought out PR strategy instead.
0: Yeah, that's fair enough. From your American clients, when you're talking to them about gaining links, do you ever get any clients who are like, I don't understand why you would want to get a link from anywhere other than the U.S.? Obviously, this question assumes that you think that there is benefit from getting links outside the US, which I guess is another part of the question. But um, it's something that me and Steve, as British digital PRs, we do outreach to the US and we get that comment from British clients. So I was intrigued to know whether it's something that you experience on the other side of the pond.
2: Yes, it definitely is. And I think maybe it kind of depends on their like, you know, business model. But for the most part, I, I've kind of agreed with them in terms of making sure, first and foremost, they're getting links where it's relevant to to them and their customer base and that and you know, that kind of thing. Relevance is really like a big focus of digital PR, especially here at, where I work at Attorney Further, like making sure more than anything that we're creating content and getting links with relevance in mind in terms of, is it relevant to the client and is it where their customers are uh, to make sure that we're getting the most out of the links that we're getting. So I think it is case by case, but for the most part, I do have us clients who are like, why would I get, you know, a UK link and uh, things like that. Or we only want to focus on us links. Maybe they're really wanting to hone in on their target audience or their, their potential target audience in the U S. And for the most part, I have agreed. I haven't had to push back, you know, not not really um sometimes there are clients who kind of do have a more wider potential audience where i think it might be beneficial to to look at the uk publications or things like that but for the most part i've, I've kind of understood where they're coming from
1: yeah that makes sense it's um an interesting i just wanted to pick up on something you said about the the relevance because like it we know it's super important and we see the 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 work that goes in your side at, at journey further as well it's, it's talked about a lot by by you guys as an agency but do you have any clients or have you spoken to any prospective clients where it's like, I don't really care so much about the relevance. I just want to go big for the numbers game. You know, like, I just want like quantity because we being honest, we still get, you know, new business prospects, etc. Like, I don't really care where you're getting the links. I just care that we're getting the links. So then we talk to them about relevance. But how, how do you find that? Is it a bit of a mixed bag?
2: It, uh, I wouldn't say it's very common. Cause like I said, a lot of us clients don't even really know what, yes. <laughs> what digital PR <laughs> and link building is. So sometimes I'm really starting from scratch in terms of education where I can really let them know, yes, you want backlinks, but you just, you don't want them from just anywhere. You want them from really relevant, you know, publications and things like that here and there. I've had clients who care more about volume than anything. And I have had to kind of You know, educate, okay. I can get you volume of links, but are they actually really going to help, you know, in terms of moving the needle of your business and your bottom line? So I wouldn't say it happens all the time because we are kind of, you know, educating more than anything. But it is a conversation that is to be had and letting the clients know um, more than anything, we want to focus on relevant publications that are actually going to help move the needle for you and for your business instead of just spraying it all over the internet because that's not necessarily helpful in the long run
1: yeah very true and it's it's changed quite a lot like when i started in in digital pr it was all about the quantity like or not not quite all about but like 90 percent of it was about quantity and was like hey we just got to get the links in and now it's, it's so refreshing and better, even though there's an education piece as well. It's like, no, it's not really about quantity. It's about quality and, and relevance. So that's interesting to hear that, that you're doing a lot of that education in, in the US as well. And following on from that, really, really interested in the differences between pitching to US journalists versus UK journalists. You obviously have experience in both, as to me and Lou. And we know that even though we share a common language, there are some pretty dramatic differences between the two like could you yeah give us I guess your three biggest differences the three biggest things you notice from pitching to on both sides
2: yes definitely I'm interested to hear you guys' opinions on this too I love like comparing notes with my with my UK uh, team members and stuff I think one big difference is the US publishers and, and journalists tend to be kind of more just give me exactly what you're working with maybe if i'm pitching them like a stat or if i'm pitching them like a story they just want sometimes i'll literally put if i have like a a finding that i think is really interesting or if i have like a infographic that has like a map or something like this the subject line will be like infographic of xyz or something like that and it's interesting and maybe they'll want to click on it but the subject line is kind of more just telling them exactly what it is. Whereas if I'm pitching a UK publisher, I see that headlines are might be a little bit more like exciting and kind of have some like, I don't know, fun, more exciting language of like more adjectives, I guess you could say like exciting infographic shows, like something like that, where I just feel like us publishers would be like, or journalists wouldn't even click on that. Or maybe they would think, Oh, like this is ridiculous kind of (laughs) thing. I don't know. Sometimes they're just much more to the point. Which I think it's more fun sometimes to pitch UK publishers because I can be a little bit more like I can play it up and be a little bit more fun where the US is like, just please get to the point. (laughs) Um, Which, you know, it's your opinion, I guess you could say, but that is a difference that I've seen. I've also noticed that US journalists really, really want personalization and they want like a one on one pitch and they really want you to talk to them about like their article or maybe like their beat or something like that and acknowledge that when you're pitching them that's a big thing that we practice here at journey further when we pitch and something that i've noticed that u.s journalists really like so i've perfected the art and taught it to my team of like make sure of course that you're sending this to a journalist that it's relevant for but also like acknowledge that you've read some pieces of theirs and tell them why what you're pitching them is perfectly on par with what they write about or maybe a recent piece that they wrote about or something like that and in terms of like maybe sending one pitch to a bunch of journalists, that doesn't work as much in the U.S. where it has worked for me in the U.K. And then I've gotten feedback from U.S. journalists. Thank you so much for this personalization. Like, I really appreciate it. I'm so glad you read my piece, things like Uh that. Definitely takes more time and it's not a quick, you know, strategy, but it does pay off in the long run when you have a journalist who's, you know, flattered and they're happy that you actually read their piece and things like that. Um, And then you can kind of start to create a relationship with them. And then I would say the third thing, maybe the most frustrating thing, is the time to actually getting the placement from the time you send the pitch is, I think, much longer in the U.S. than it is in the U.K. It's maybe a few weeks is kind of the average. We actually, I had a piece of coverage go live last week on cosmopolitan which was great and i looked at when the pitch was sent and it was sp- it was sent like three weeks before Oh, really? um right. yeah and it's like it's not fun um <laughs> and i feel like i see uk co- coverage kind of come in a little bit quicker i think maybe there's more or there's more uh writers in the UK. I'm not sure the exact stat, but my colleague Domenico, she did a seminar with Bosuma where she actually mentioned that there's like quite a bit of writers in the UK compared to the size. And there's also like maybe they're pumping out articles a little bit more often, whereas yeah. a lot of US journalists maybe do like one or two a week. So the time to placement is just a little bit slower.
0: Did you see a tweet by an American journalist where she was she was talking about a salary and saying that it was actually quite low considering she had they had to publish 10 stories a week or something like that and then you had all these British journalists coming back being like 10 stories a week I have to do like 15 a day <laughs> and yeah. she was getting quite like antsy with them because her point was like just because it's bad where you are doesn't mean this isn't also bad but yeah I guess that that would play a big part like if a if an American journalist does have the benefit of extra time to be writing things up and things like that you're not gonna publish it within Hmm. two hours which is sometimes what can happen in the uk like and because they've probably got these crazy targets that they've got to hit
2: yeah and i think that's what it is i've i've seen it with like daily mail and and metro like some of them are really they're they're working over there like pumping out article (laughs) after article so many a day and and, and most u.s journalists it's just a few a week like you said and so that that difference does kind of impact the the time to placement from the time you send the pitch to when you actually get the coverage
0: I wonder if, because like, you know, the Express has gone to the US, the Mirror's now got a US site, like, I would imagine they're going to bring their expectations of pumping out stories. I wonder if it's going to be the beginning of like, a change for maybe America. I don't know, maybe I'm overestimating how influential those publications might be, but they are big, big companies. Um, maybe it will change. It's a good thought. We've definitely been looking at them and trying to see kind of
2: how exactly they're laying out their uh, their coverage and things like that but it's it'll be interesting to see maybe how they decide to like I don't know change to US standards or keep it keep it at UK standards yeah.
1: yeah um coming back to the um personalization thing as well that you mentioned because that really really intrigues me so there was actually I think something on Twitter yesterday uh, where there was like debate and it feels like every journalist has a slightly different like or dislike on this so most it seems like i think you're absolutely right by the way it seems like most uk journalists just kind of just want a you know high name here's the story like let's crack on and you're right i think you can use some sort of we love a pun in the uk and sort of like fun headlines and all of that so that's that's all good are you saying in the us that you kind of cuz personalization obviously comes in the form of prospecting so like making sure you're targeting the right publications and the right journalists at those publications but in the us you're saying that actually that little bit extra of making sure you've read their articles and referenced them in in the pitch, like kind of goes the extra mile. Because yeah, that's something that that we do, but probably, being completely honest, probably not as much as as we oh, could yeah. do. Like be- that's fascinating.
0: Being completely honest, I literally tweeted this the other day, so I have to be really honest about it. I am trying to do this more for american pictures but it really pains me <laughs> and not because i'm not interested in what they're doing because i generally am but i'm like to me because i'm so used to the british way of doing things which is like send them a relevant story that i think they're going to really like and, and and you know that's that's kind of it with their name and all that kind of stuff and so i find it a real struggle because i'm like i don't want to come across as like disingenuous like yeah it's a learning curve <laughs> i think that's a different Definitely, big cultural change yeah.
2: And, you know, there is a way I think you could be like maybe coming off disingenuous. So you want to make sure you really hire like, you know, a recent story, like really doing your research to make sure, you know, you're actually giving them a personalization. That's not just like blowing smoke up there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But in in most cases, you know, if you're pitching something that should be kind of relevant and you're like, hey, you know, I read your last piece or I read a piece that you did last week about, you know, Barbie. I actually have more information about Barbie if you're interested or something like that. Like, for the most part, I've gotten, like, thank you so much for reading my pieces. Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes from irrelevant pitches being sent yeah. to them. And that is, like, a number one, um, you know, complaint from, I think, U- from U.S. journalists, but I think journalists across the board, of receiving irrelevant things are relevant pitches so when they get a pitch that not only is relevant but the person actually read their story and took the time to like hey you know I saw that you you wrote this I have something to add to that conversation or I have something I think you might be interested in they really appreciate it
1: yeah Yeah. I would love to see a journalist inbox I'd actually probably pay good money to see a like a range of journalist inboxes because it feels like the agencies or the the PR people who go and take the time to really think about who they're pitching to, the publications they're pitched to, the story, and being completely transparent. I think occasionally, you know, a mistake is made and like a journalist added to a media list and you send them an irrelevant pitch or they've moved and you haven't noticed, of course. But there's obviously a lot of agencies and PR people who are just using that scattergun approach where they're like, right, we've got a story. It's sort of vaguely of interest to like motoring finance and new, and they're just pumping it out there without any thought so i'm, I'm just fascinated in, in where personalization is going So it feels like it's swung both ways in the uk like when i started it was very much similar to how you're describing in yeah. the us you would reference pieces and then it almost became the norm not to do that because it was, like, oh, it was sort of a bit annoying but like mm. I, I, i'm yeah very interested in it i think it's a really interesting point for our listeners and and for me as well just to consider
0: yeah for sure on a similar note in terms of differences are there any particular styles of stories that you think work well in the U.S.?
2: Yes so and I in terms of styles of stories I've seen um, like data-led pieces really kind of be the holy grail in terms of getting coverage from digital PR to U.S. journalists so having like maybe like an on-site piece with like you know a data-backed ranking or a map or something like that a lot of times, these publications have editorial standards they have to be held to. I've even had a publisher tell me like, if it's a survey, it has to be two thousand respondents, or our publication actually won't cover it at all. And those are always, I think, kind of changing and being refined. So it's something we have to t- stay on top of. <laughs> if we have like a, a data set, making sure that we tell them all of like where all of this data has come from, and and that kind of thing. Like these rigorous data standards that we're held to make it to where or that they're held to make it to where the content that we give them is as if it is a data piece with all of that, and it checks all the boxes, it usually does pretty well. I would say reactives are kind of less, I don't want to say less popular, but like, Mm. they maybe don't do as well. If you have like a reactive on like a quick, you know, trending story, and you maybe have like some Google trends or like a quote from a client that's, you know, in relation to this trending story or something like that. Um, Those definitely do well, but they really like to see data and maybe even some type of like visual versus just a quick like off-the-cuff reactive or something like that Mm -hmm. kind of depends on the journalist as well and it kind of depends on the vertical so this isn't like a end-all be-all you know for Mm -hmm. all U.S. journalists but overall data pieces are are really big and have done pretty well across several different verticals that I've worked on.
0: That's interesting about the reactive things again I wonder if the fact that if you've got a UK journalist who has to do 10 stories maybe they're okay with being like oh, pink things are more popular now because of Barbie. Here's a here's a percentage and a quote, and that's a story. You know, that's an article out. Whereas, yeah, if an American's journalist mindset is a little bit more maybe rigorous, maybe have like a bit fuller, then, yeah, that would kind of stack up, I guess, that they're like, actually, I would like to see the full data and I would like a little bit more. So that's a really good tip around data. Do you think there's anything that... Well, actually, you've said that Reactive doesn't work as well, but is there anything that actually goes down really well in the UK which... In the US, you're like, mm, <laughs> this is going to be a tough sell. I don't know.
2: I'm not going to lie. I haven't pitched UK media in a while. Oh, okay. so, I'm so focused on the US. <laughs> so maybe enough. I'm out of the loop. Um, the biggest thing is just like, I think the way that if we're doing, even if I'm doing a reactive, like you said, like you guys love a pun or maybe like mm, yeah. a fun, like subject line that's kind of like witty or something like that. And it, it, it's kind of like fun to pitch UK stuff because I can like really play up the story and like that kind of thing and it just doesn't work in the U.S. they're kind of just like please get to the point which is funny because it's opposite for personalization it's seeming like it's seeming like for UK publishers they don't care about personalization in the U.S. they do but when it's actually getting to the meat of the story I feel like I can have a little bit more fun with the UK ones versus the U.S.
1: In terms of cutting stories so a pretty common tactic is to have like let's say it's a data story with a map and what have you. So you do like one global story and you sort of take, you know, a bit of a cut of that country's data and outreach it to other countries. You've kind of hinted at this already. And, and obviously the U.S. is is a huge country. So it kind of, um, you know, it's going to vary um, from state to state. But like, what do you think about kind of cutting that one big story? Or do you really need to think about creating bespoke stories for the U.S. market and for individual states?
2: Yeah, I am um, kind of team bespoke to the US and individual states. I, I've i seen some pieces that are global and kind of cover like global cities, and including some US cities, and, and I've seen them kind of do well, I think it really depends on the topic, you have to have kind of a topic that resonates, you know, globally, um, which can be kind of difficult, I think, especially for people in the US, because overall, the US is kind of insular, like, not kind of, I think they're very insular, like, <laughs> A lot of U.S. people don't have passports. They don't really travel globally. So for a story to resonate on something globally, it has to kind of be a topic that maybe is really popular or something that would really resonate with someone in the U.S. to actually really think on a global scale. Because it's so big, the market is so big, and so many, like I said, people in the U.S. don't have a passport. Maybe they haven't traveled internationally or they don't very often. It it can be kind of hard to get them to think on a global scale. And I think publishers know that, and publishers want to make sure that they're appealing to the readers and kind of maybe what they're going to see. I would say state-based like data or something like that does much more. It probably does better in terms of like engagements and things like that, because we really do. I think you can almost say like each state is like its own little country Mm -hmm. and everyone kind of has like their opinion of this state or this state, you know, and, and we all kind of think maybe our state is the best or something like that. And that's kind of how I think we view things uh, and that's how stories are run. So if you do it on a state-based level, there's definitely potential there. And then, of course, you have those local publishers who only cover news in that state or maybe they only cover news in one city, in one state. So it gets really like hyper-regional. So if you're doing something on a U.S., just a U.S.-based level, comparing the states to each other, there's a lot of potential there and there's a lot of like conversation that they want that could happen around it because of like I said the like competition or like you know the friendly competition this, the, that the states have with each other
1: this is a bit of a throwaway question but I'm just going to ask it anyway because what you said is fascinating but like, are there any states that are harder or easier than others to gain in so I've pitched to a lot of states and some of them seem like a really tough sell like com- honest like zero responses or interest and then others are like hey this is great keep the stories coming like what's what's your experience
2: Yeah, that's a great question. i say there's some states that are, you know, bigger, more heavily populated, so more is going on. So you have more noise to cut through. Uh, The big ones being like New York, Florida, Texas, California. Those four are very heavily populated, very like big, bustling cities, you know, within those states. So cutting through noise might be kind of difficult. Whereas if you pitch to a less populated state or a state where not, you know, not as many big cities or something like that they probably don't get pitched as often. So they're really excited to get a pitch from you, especially if it paints their state in a good light (laughs) and they're excited to show it off, you know, something like Montana or Nebraska, like things like that. They, you know, might be more excited. So, but I also think it kind of depends, right? So I mentioned Texas being a busy state with a lot going on, but people from Texas are, Texas is one of the biggest states in the U S and people are very proud to be from Texas. It's just a state that comes with a lot of pride so if you have a, a you know a story really painting Texas in a good light, they're probably going to run it because they're just so <laughs> excited to like you know show off how yeah. great Texas is. You know, so it also just kind of depends on those like nuances as well.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Definitely and I love sense.
2: Texas. I have family in Texas. I'm not talking bad about Texas. I Texas.
0: <laughs> use that. as an example.
1: <laughs> we'll if make sure. Yeah, repeat. you're fine. Yeah, we'll you're make fine. sure we we'll keep that clarity <laughs> in the final edit. It's all good. I was trying to think who's
0: the British? Who's the UK Texas? He's the one who loves to hear about themselves. (laughs)
1: Well, it's it's difficult to compare country for country, but Cornwall is very like they you know they're cor- Cornish pride, like Cornwall yeah. is a very proud I mean it's entirely different to Texas obviously. But, you know. I don't feel like I need to clarify that. But like <laughs> in terms of pride, it seems like there's a lot yeah. of pride there about where they're from.
0: What media database do you use for US contacts to get those precious yeah. emails? <laughs> Great
2: question. So we use um almost everything because we <laughs> want to make sure that we like, you know, are really increasing the the potential for contacts so we do build each of our media lists for each campaign by hand so i think that's another thing that goes into like personalization is making sure each media list for every like campaign that we're doing is every contact is kind of vetted to make sure that it's a good fit i love uh personally i love muckrack um Mm -hmm. it's big here in the u.s for pitching and they have a really sophisticated way of searching for contacts that is like, you can refine your search and you can really get down to like the nitty gritty of what you're looking for, which I love. We also use Buzzsumo, love Buzzsumo as well. Um, love their like content analyzer, keeping on track with like trending news and things like that. I think they do a really good job of helping me identify trending news and then identify the writers talking about it. We also use One Pitch And then of course, Google just like refine you know using um google modifiers to really refine your search as well to make sure that you're looking for uh stories or potential writers that um would be a good fit for your campaign as well so a little bit of everything really nice
0: do you only use muckrack as your only like media database like for for like the world or is it a different one for like uk and europe or are you not sure? They do.
2: No, you can find UK publications on Muckrack. Again, I haven't pitched UK media yes, lately. Sorry, so I realized sure I, I keep like, asking you questions, no, which can...
0: maybe be all right, But right.
2: I'm not sure how updated it is, to be honest, um, in terms of like their their media, their UK media database, but they you can find UK publications on there. And in their like their search, you know, console or whatever, where you look it up, you can specify the, the country to make sure that you're looking for maybe US or UK. Yeah.
0: So we're currently having a...
1: Lose on a personal crusade to find (laughs) the perfect... I should add that.
0: I'm coming to the slow realisation that I think to be able to outreach to, to the world, which is a big ask, that I think there's not one that is... I think personally you need to have more than one and I'm starting to think that Muckrak seems to be the best one for the US. But um, our um, finance people aren't going to like that news because <laughs> it's extremely expensive. And then it's like, and we also want another one for Europe and the UK. But yes. yes, I'm always intrigued. But it does seem very good. But they don't do free trials, which is mad to me.
2: Oh, interesting. I remember talking to a Muckrak rep earlier in the year, and she told me that they were, I can't remember exactly what she said, but she said that they were like, introducing their capabilities in the UK. And yes. it was like, not great, but it was getting better. Oh, so okay. I'm hoping maybe that, yeah, yeah that I, I do remember her telling me that.
1: Also, interesting tactic there from Lou to sort of almost pitch for the budget for muck rack <laughs> yeah. uh, from can our Can you say on the record on the how,
0: how vital it is <laughs> yeah. for any digital PR and then we can get it signed up?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, staying with, um, well, contacts or, or publications. So interested to hear like if there are or what would be your kind of golden publications that are kind of seen as the holy grail of coverage in the US because obviously in the UK you know BBC is always a standard we actually got some coverage on the BBC recently and obviously gets shared around quite a lot because it's like this is amazing like absolutely it's like the best of the best but what what are the equivalents in the US? Yes uh,
2: congratulations on the BBC coverage it wasn't me I should I should state it (laughs) was neither
1: of us it was one of our wonderful team members but yeah sorry carry on.
2: No, that's still awesome. That is definitely worth celebrating. I would say the one of the biggest Holy Grail publications is the New York Times, um, which is why I include it in my bio, because I have you know one placement under my belt at the New York Times, and it was a career high that I will never forget. I will mm-hmm. tell my children and my grandchildren about it. I'm so excited. Um, it's just such a like high-tier, probably one of the most high-tier publications here in the U.S. It's a really, really big deal. Another one that I really love is USA Today. They are a pretty, like, reputable, you know, high-tier publication here in the U.S., and their syndication network is, in my opinion, one of the best. They have their main site, of course, USA Today, and then they have a bunch of talk about, you know, local and, re- and regional media. They have a bunch of those publications across a lot of major U.S. cities across the country. So not only will you get the coverage on USA Today, but you'll also get all of those syndication coverage as well, and it'll be high-tier followed links. It's not syndicating to, like, you know, low tier, low domain authority sites, it's syndicating to some pretty high tier sites that actually have really good readership. Mm-hmm. So you're getting the USA today, like readership potential and then the the syndication across the country, which I love. I would say the same for CNBC or NBC. They're owned by the same. They are great and they have great syndications as well. Um, Washington Post is another good one too. Guardian, even the Guardian US is another good one too. So mm-hmm. those are some like pretty generic, I think like you know, multi vertical publications that are just, you know, holy grail, holy grail for us.
1: Well, congratulations to yeah. you for getting the placement on the New York Times. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because I obviously we we do what we do to like have impact for clients to earn money, all that kind of stuff. But I, for me, it's still I've worked in PR for years and it, I, you can't beat that feeling of when you just get a placement on a publication you've been trying to get on for ages. And it's amazing. And it's like, oh, I, I did that. That's great. So how did you get on the New York Times?
2: Great question. So going back to what I was talking about earlier, data, data, data. So (laughs) it was a campaign. And again, I really can't take credit off my own. Like I had a, you know, production team help me make the campaign. And I was in uh, helped make the campaign. And then I had a team member who was helping me pitch it. So it really was a group effort. But the piece was a data led piece about the rent here in the United States, which is astronomical and has just continued to climb. So rent prices are crazy. So it was, I can't remember the exact piece, but it was some sort of multi data, like meta ranking of multiple different, you know, data points being looked at across all 50 states to analyze rent prices across the country. Very, very like thorough, like I said, multi, you know, data, uh, different data sets included in, in the piece. And then it was very topical because it rent prices have just been climbing. And like I said, haven't stopped. So I think it was that perfect formula of very thorough data piece with a map. So there was a visual on top of being extremely topical. And it was like, I think the perfect formula with a personalized pitch to the writer who was writing about all of those kind of like inflation finance issues, very topical here in the US at the moment. And it was just that perfect formula to get the placement.
1: Oh, nice. amazing. Amazing. That's I'm going to seek cool. that out because I love I love that when you just hit hit it perfectly, like at the right time mm-hmm. with the right story in the right way. So very nice.
0: We've spoken a lot about uh, American press, but we'd be intrigued to hear about American clients. And what is the, what's the differences between American clients and British clients?
2: Yes. So, you know, quite a few differences. I, I love my, my British clients. They remind me of, so I'm from the American South, where we kind of have Southern hospitality. Not sure if you've ever heard of that. And when I talk to my my Brit, my British co-workers, it's very familiar to me, the kind of like politeness and hospitality, right? So I feel like it's, it's kind of similar. So when I'm talking to British clients, they're like, you know, they want to talk and chat maybe the first five minutes of the call. How was your weekend? You know, how's your day? What do you have going on? And they tell me about it their day, you know, that kind of stuff. And it, it, like I said, it's really familiar to me. It feels kind of like Southern hospitality in a way. When I talk to my US clients... It just seems like they're busy and want to get to the point very much like us publishers. Um, they're just, you know, I can tell that they have a lot, kind of a lot going on and I can almost kind of sometimes tell that they have like, they're getting the information that they of course then need to relate maybe to their supervisor and their boss. So it's more of a just passing of information rather than a like, you know, let's get to know each other kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Again, like I mentioned earlier in the call, the, education is just kind of low with us clients so i'm really starting from scratch if i if i sign a us client in terms of like this is what we're doing you know this is why we're doing it i just really have to do a lot of that education up front not necessarily something i have to do with uk clients who like 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 i mentioned are already kind of familiar with digital pr and the importance of links and and using a pr strategy for it so yeah i would say those are like the the two biggest differences
0: when you are getting the kind of not pushback, I guess, but the, the, the clients who have to educate a little bit more because they might not know about digital PR as much. What are their kind of reservations about doing it? Because from our experience, one of the thing, big things, you know, a good couple of years ago when people were like, oh, I'm not sure, was like, you know, we already have a PR team. So why would we use this and, and things like that? Are those <laughs> the kind of things that come up in the conversations as well? You're nodding. Yes, Bree
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. is nodding frantically. Yes.
0: yes. We already have a PR team. What are you talking about? Like talk
2: to our comms team, that kind of thing. Um, and then really having to like explain those differences is huge. Um, and syncing even with their PR teams, talking with their PR team and kind of just like they're working on a company announcement or quarterly earnings, like, you know, very traditional PR-esque while we're working on more content creation, things like that. Big, big difference. I would say another kind of like question that comes up is if I'm doing maybe a content piece, or even a reactive or something like that, like, I think that they think too advertorial, I think a a lot of clients do, but they're kind of just like, you know, why isn't this whole pitch or this whole campaign idea or whatever, specifically about us and our products. And I'm like, that's not what the journalists want, like, they're going to tell me to go buy an ad, you know, they Mm -hmm. want a story around what their coverage kind of entails that they can then pitch to their editor so you're in here but like there's also a greater story to be told as well and that's what journalists want and that's how you get earned media so having to kind of explain to them that way of thinking in terms of prs is, is another another thing as well
1: yeah that makes perfect sense okay. and yeah kind of gave me a little bit of a shiver then because it feels like <laughs> prs need a support group for that kind yeah. of discussion because <laughs> it's like i've had it so often but it's like well we can't just write about I don't know, How a pair of you shoes are. you manufacture <laughs> yeah. or a, a holiday that you do, because that, that's like an ad. Like You can do that on your social channels, but we need to create a story here. So that makes perfect sense. Brie, we've just got two more questions for you. One is we're going to finish up with a question that we ask all of our guests. But before that, I just wanted your views on what you think UK digital PR pros are doing better than those in the US and kind of vice versa, because... You've had experience of both and, yeah, really intrigued to sort of basically just have a bit of fun with it. Like, what are we doing better in the UK? What are you doing better in the US, basically?
2: Great question. So I do think I kind of mentioned it, but the UK, you guys just do reactives so well. Um, and I think that you guys, I just see my UK, like, co-workers and things just always talking about the news, keeping an eye on the news. I don't know how all these people do it. Like, they're just, like, so, like, focusing on the news and getting their work done and just, like, they're everywhere at once. And I feel like that they just do such a good job of like, okay, this is trending in the news, boom, boom, boom. We can tie the client to it like this, you know, send. And they're, they're just that kind of thought process. They do it so well and then get the coverage on the back of it. I think for a long time, like I said, digital PR in the U.S. has been, like I have a lot more experience with data pieces and like on, on-site pieces with like, you know, a, a map or some type of visual or something like that. So over the past few years as Reactive has really popped off, it's something that us U.S. digital PRs who are a little bit behind still kind of have to like train our brain to think that way. And I just see it executed so flawlessly in the UK, and it's something that I'm just learning more and more about every single day. So I think maybe the opposite is some of those like more data pieces, like data heavy pieces I see in the U.S. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I haven't seen a lot in the UK, so I'm not saying maybe you guys don't do them as good. But I do know that that the digital PR and link building agencies who are doing it correctly in the U.S have really perfected that art of here's like a content piece with all of the the data. Here's the perfect way to visualize it. This is exactly what we want to see, like the publishers want to see. And that is really something that has been perfected here in the U.S. So, you know, I, I, like I said, I don't know if maybe the U.K. is doing it better, but I do know that that is what the U.S. is doing extremely well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Our final question for you is, what do you think the future of digital PR is? Just a small question, just a little thing. Obviously, if you want to talk about, you know, what's it going to be like in the next month, fine. But if you want to think big and go for the next 10 or 20 years, also fine.
2: Great question. We me just, like,
0: pull out my crystal ball. Um, I,
2: um, it is a tricky question. Things have changed so much. I've watched in my six years, I have seen things change so drastically just in like six years. I, I can't even really put my finger, I think, on what the, what's to come. I do know that even though digital PR is kind of newer in the U.S., I've seen a lot of journalists kind of catch on to it, and they just kind of know like, you know, what we're doing, and they just really want a story that really resonates with them, like I've talked about. So, I think relevance is important, obviously, for our clients, because they need to be in their, like, relevant verticals, like I said, in front of potential consumers and things like that. It's also relevant for Google's algorithm. But, like, really making sure that we're creating relevant content that publishers want to see as well is extremely important because they just really don't like, like I said, irrelevant pitches or anything like that. So relevance across the board has got to be something That I think we'll have to focus on a lot in the US over the next few years to make sure that we're really continuing to get coverage for our clients. And then another thing I think, too, that we're all having, we all got to keep our eye on, I have no idea where this is going to go. But TikTok is very much becoming a search engine. And I don't know what that's going to look like over the next few years, in terms of our careers and and its competition with Google. But I see so many Gen Zers choosing to search on TikTok instead of Google. So we gotta we gotta keep our eye on eye on it and see how we can, you know, maybe what's the word I'm looking for? Like conform or, or just adapt quickly yeah. to yeah. this ever changing market that we're in. Yeah.
0: Totally. Um, two very, very good points. I thought you were going to say AI for that last one.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. But it's coming too, for sure. <laughs> another thing that's um,
0: coming might take our jobs. <laughs> yet
2: another thing we have to, you know, adapt to quickly or we're going to get left behind. I You know, and it is something I I see so many people who are against it and are like, no, or whatever. But I just think that, taste you tastefully of course i don't want you know ai to completely replace us in terms of writing or anything like that i I don't think it's going to be able to but seeing how we can implement it into our workday and into our workflow and things like that i think we've i think it's worth all of us keeping an eye on and seeing what we can do or we we will get left behind as well so it's just a matter of doing it i think tastefully and correctly
1: totally agree Brie, you've been absolutely brilliant. We really, really appreciate your time. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And um, I made a lot of notes. Basically going to steal your thoughts and uh, (laughs) pass them off as as my own at a later (laughs) date. I'm not going to do that. But if people want to kind of get in touch, follow you, learn from you, like I assume follow you on Twitter, that's Brie Haykay.
2: Yes.
1: Yeah, at Brie Haykay um, on Twitter. At Brie Haykay. Yes. Um, Or
2: LinkedIn. Yes, Brie Haykay. K-K is spelled h-u-y-k-e doesn't look like how it's pronounced
1: <laughs> it does not because i found that to my cost in the original introduction to this podcast so thank you for clarifying so do yeah, go and follow brie she shares lots of um, brilliant information that will add to what she shared on this podcast but thank you again brie it's been a pleasure and thank you everyone for listening
0: thanks so much thanks, thanks.